Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Today's episode is brought to you by ModMed. Do your EHR and PM adapt to your style of practice? The ModMed EHR and PM do, with benefits like remembering preferences and automatically suggesting documentation and billing codes. Urologists voted ModMed the number one urology-specific EHR and PM solution available, built by urologists with input from yours truly. Stop wasting 60 minutes and 200 for each of your open or no-show slot. Go to modmed.com slash prsnetwork. Set up an appointment with the team at ModMed Urology and shift your urology practice into high gear. Imagine a solution on a tablet or the web that works seamlessly with revenue cycle management, analytics, telehealth, payment processing, patient engagement tools, and much more. ModMed is transforming healthcare by placing doctors and patients at the center of care. Welcome to episode 180 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter. And on today's episode, we want to revisit G2211 and talk about what we've learned so far, what our experience has been so far, and want to share anything that we can with you to make that transition easier. Seems to be a lot of questions and confusion out there, so we want to see if we can't, once again, try and clarify some of those uh, issues and also share some of the experience we've been having. And Mark, the other thing we want to discuss was code 99459. So there's been some questions that come in on that wanted to bring you up to speed on what we know about that and clarify based on our interpretation of how to to use that code. All right, Mark, let's, uh, let's dive right in, see if we can't get uh, some of those questions answered. Okay. Yeah, we've had several different things happen. Some have been questions from the admin teams, and some have been questions from the clinical team. And then the other thing, we've just got a a couple of updates as we've run through a few scenarios now that we've had a couple of weeks to uh, push this out the door. The first thing we'll start with is some questions from the administrative type, the compliance side, if you will where we've had a few folks that have jumped in probably a little too enthusiastically with the G2211 and are throwing it on every time that an ENM code is utilized. And this is something that we touched on when we were talking about the implementation of the new code, um, which is we really do need to focus on adding this code for those visits in which you are dealing with either the total patient care or a single complex ongoing service. So you definitely don't want to put it on every single claim. There's a few things that really are not in that complex category. A few questions we've had, what about hematuria, for example, that gross, that first gross hematuria visit? If, if that's the first time you're seeing the patient and you really don't know why the patient is having he, a, an episode of hematuria, then that's really not the right visit 
to put that G2211 on. It's one of those cases where you do have the potential of a long-term disease state, but you don't know if it's a stone or a minor issue that you're going to be able to, or maybe stones we shouldn't call minor, but not necessarily a chronic issue that's going to require a long-term relationship right off the bat. Those symptoms, before you know what they are, typically are not going to fit with the G2211. That one seems to be the most common question we're getting. And we also have questions around where does ED fall? We've put in our documentation that we didn't actually, we omitted ED from the initial documentation because we didn't feel it was obviously there. Um, That's one that is a chronic condition for sure. It does create some relationship. So there's an argument for it. The the issue we didn't feel it hit was that complex uh, issue relative to the overall care. So that's one that I'm still a little wary of and cautious on. We haven't seen necessarily any rejections from it, but it is one of those that if you're using it, you might see some pushback now or later. So those are just a couple of those areas. So one, make sure you're using it appropriately. The more we see abuse out there, which we know we're going to see, the more likely we're going to get restrictive edits on there that really don't fit within what we're trying to do in urology. So we want to make sure that we're using it responsibly to build those first uh, rules that we will most likely see from Medicare in the new, in the near future. So that was one. The other thing I wanted to update you on was we have seen the G two two one one paid with telehealth. Uh, we have submitted a couple with a telephone only, um, but we haven't seen those come back yet. We'll have to watch on those. Uh, and then the other one um, that was. Uh, interesting in all of this was we're seeing that some of the Medicare Advantage plans don't have everything updated within their system the way they should. And we can tell this because when we get through the process of talking to these Medicare Advantage plans um, about the G2211 because they were being rejected up front or denied, that they've asked us to add a modifier 59, which is, the as we all know, the unbundling modifier. And that, to me, tells me that they haven't gotten their total file updates done because the G2211 in 23 was status B or bundled. So they're coming up with some workarounds. So with your Medicare Advantage plans, you might want to take a look at those initial rejections and see about pushing them back through or talking to your local plans. But an option might be modifier 59 on a resubmit. Take a look at a few of those options as you're moving things uh, forward with the G2211. Uh, We're definitely still getting questions on how to appropriately document G2211. And again, want to make sure that you've got at least that diagnosis assigned to it and a diagnosis assigned to the patient that is for a single complex condition. And you want to have that repeat visit. If you want to add some extra 
documentation or smart phrase technology to make sure that it's clear that you are caring for that patient uh, for that problem uh, over time. You can add that as well. Uh, but again, I'm going to refer back to making sure that you've got some type of treatment plan and a, and a recall in place for that disease state that is uh, complex as part of that documentation. Um, but I will say that is, again, speculative because we haven't had any chart reviews yet in that process. Any update to private payers? Have that, you tried billing and seeing anything? So we're trying it with several payers. Now, the private payers, most of them are not as quick to pay that we've within Medicare. So we don't have as much feedback from different payers. So we are seeing some denials from private payers that have come back. Those tend to process a little bit quicker, but we really don't have enough of a sample to let us know. But we are seeing that there are a lot of payers that are at least allowing it to process. And so that is, or gives us some leeway to experiment and see how they handle those things. And it'll probably be another couple of weeks before I can give you any reasonable answers as to what the privates are doing. Fair enough. My second question was, when you were talking about the Medicare Advantage, it's interesting that you use the 59 instead of the X modifiers. So is that what you're seeing? It is the 59 that they're suggesting? So they did. And a lot of the payer, the, even if the Medicare Advantage plans are not as, uh, let's just say, geared up to deal with the X modifiers. So they tend to lean back on 59 with their suggestions or their recommendations. And that may be that their help desks are not really educated on the X modifiers. But we also have the fact that the X modifiers, we don't have an XE, the XS wouldn't work, and the XP wouldn't work. So really the only one I would see if you did get a recommendation there might be an XU, but again, it's not really going to be unusual. <laughs> so it's cool. odd that the 59 doesn't actually, their X modifiers don't have a great definition that match in. So the 59 is probably better, but it's still a shoehorn no matter how you cut it, because it's really a, the, it's not really supposed to be used for stuff like that. So it's just a, it's a workaround. Okay. Makes sense. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, Ed, and let's do the next one. Okay. So yeah, the, so the next thing the, that we want to look, do we talk about is we've had so, several debates around the 99459 with different groups that are out there. Um, now, when you read through the Federal Register, it does say that the primary reason that there was a value assigned to the 99459 was an allowance for the chaperone that is often required for a female pelvic exam. So we've gotten some questions. What if the patient refuses to have a chaperone so you don't have one versus the you actually have that chaperone in place and whether or not the chaperone's participation in the exam is required? The way I read the Federal Register, it didn't look like the requirement for the chaperone was written into the rule set. Now, we may see that happen at some point in time down the road, 
and because you're doing a full a female pelvic exam, uh, we definitely recommend that you clearly document whether or not a chaperone was present or indeed offered to the the patient when that pelvic exam was done. Now, the way the CPT code is written, there are no restrictions relative to whether or not the chaperone participated. And again, we didn't see that within the Federal Register discussion that they were going to restrict it to only those visits in which a chaperone participated. Um, so, um, we're recommending that you fully document the uh, female pelvic exam, note whether or not a chaperone was uh, part of the visit, um, but go ahead and report it if that female pelvic is, uh, exam is done, regardless of whether or not you had a chaperone in the room, but know that we may be coming back to you changing that moving forward. And there may be some requests for documentation and some payer actions for takebacks. But it, again, it's it wasn't clear within the regs that a non-participation of a chaperone meant you couldn't use the 99459. Have you seen any of those paid yet? So I believe we have seen the 99459 paid, but I'm not sure which payers. Okay. I haven't seen that. It's just, it's not as frequently used, so... We don't have that, or the it's called for as much. So we don't. I don't have that information as readily available to me as I do the G two two one one. All right, we'll keep you posted. We'll wrap this one up here. Uh, once again, we want to thank Mod Med for supporting this episode. If you're in the market for a EHR or a practice management system, you can go to modmed.com forward slash PRS network for specials for our audience. That's all for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Take us out, Mark. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music on Spotify under his record label, The Juicery.